Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 538. At midnight is a big week this week. Our 100th episode already. I can't freaking believe it. 100 episodes of At Midnight. Um, tonight we have uh, Jason Nash, Busy Phillips, Andy Daly. And then tomorrow, the 24th of June, Doug Benson, Nikki Glazer, Ron Funches. Three people who have won the show a bunch of times uh, competing for our 100th episode. Uh, then later in the week, we have uh, Steve Byrne, Owen Benjamin, Roy Wood Jr., Harley Mornstein, Grace Helbig, Hannah Hart. Uh, it's a it's going to be a really, really, really fantastic week. And then uh, also, I'll be appearing at VidCon next weekend. I'll be um, doing panels and presentations, and I'll be all over there. So I'll see you at VidCon next weekend if you are uh, going to be in Southern California for that. And uh, I'd like to thank Stamps.com for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Stamps.com will keep you from the madness that is the post office. Now, I don't mean inherently against the post office. It's not their fault that it's not a great experience. It's just, you know, everyone needs to mail stuff. So they all descend at once. People get cranky. It's busy. Uh, there's parking issues. And uh, so you don't have to deal with any of that with stamps.com. You turn your PC or your Mac into your own personal post office. You buy and print official U.S. postage using your computer and your printer, and then you don't have to go to the post office. Your mail carrier will just pick it up from you. Uh, we have this continuing offer. If you go to stamps.com, it's a $110 bonus offer. No risk trial, digital scale, up to $55 of free postage when you use the promo code NERDIST. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in NERDIST. That's stamps.com into the promo code NERDIST. This episode is my old pal Greg Barrett. And uh, Greg's a very special person to me. He was... Maybe the first or second person I called, maybe the second person I called when I got sober, because he had as well. And uh, he's gone through a bunch of shit, and he's a great guy, and one of my favorite favorite comics. And um, so this was a this was a really interesting delve into because we hadn't really caught up in a while. So uh, I, I really I pulled a lot of uh, good lessons out of this chat with Greg, and you know when shit happens, the best thing that you can do is just take stock. You know, get a little perspective and say, how can I live better? How can I do better? How can I be better in the world? And so um, that's definitely what he's done and definitely what I always try to do whenever um, shitty things happen. So here we go, the Nerdist Podcast number 538. Uh, Greg Barrett will be in the, uh, he's from the Walk in the Room podcast, of course, with Dave Anthony. And he'll be appearing at the Atlantic Ocean Comedy Music Festival July 25th through 28th, alongside Todd Berry, W. Kamau Bell, Matt Bronger, Kyle Kinane, Morgan Murphy, John Roderick, and more. Info and tickets are at boatparty.biz. Nerdist Podcast, 538. Greg Barrett. 
Now entering Nerdist.com. I'm okay. How are you? What's going on? I'm okay. This is not good at all. I'm fine. I'm, 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 I'm okay. No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm a little wet, Dad. I have to go to New York tonight. I'm going to Chicago. You're going to Chicago tonight? Yep. What are you doing? The Schomburg Improv. Schomburg. Schomburg's right. Schomburg is the uh, right outside. Is that near Shermer? It's the one where they go, man, you're doing the Chicago Improv. And then you're like, no, that's like saying San Jose, San Francisco. Yeah. Chicago's not even close. No, no. The fuck out it's not even right outside. And that it's was wrong. It's 500-seater. So, it's huge. It's in so, a mall. So when I bring in my 150, mm-hmm. it'll really fucking <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, did a, I did a joke there. I was, uh, I was, I was uh, uh, doing this uh, Comedy Central show, and I said, oh, when they told me I was going to be doing the uh, Chicago Improv, I thought we were going to be in Chicago, but we're not. We're in Schaumburg. That's like telling someone they get to go to one of the coolest cities in the world, and then they have to go to Schaumburg. <laughs> uh, I like it. It's they didn't. So true. They did it's not so like true. that. Is that Chicago's Shelbyville? Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> well, it's, it's like, yeah. It, well, you know, it's like a white suburb. It's like, um, it's, it'd be like going to Marin. It'd be like saying you're in San Francisco oh, sure. playing Mike Marin. Well, uh, De- you know? like Deanna, who's from the like, Chicago suburbs, she says the thing about like, most of the Chicago suburbs is that it's like they're like suburban white people, but they have a chip on their shoulder because they say they're from Chicago. So they're like, they're like we're not suburban people. We're from Chicago. Right. But right. they never make it to the city. <laughs> no. And people from the city are always like, dude, I'm going to come to your show. And then like an hour before, like, you know what, man? I, yeah, I know. I get it. The traffic. It's, <laughs> I mean, that's also yeah. just my fan base in general. The, the theme of my, you know what, man? My tours are always this. There'll be tickets. <laughs> How are the tickets? Well, they're not. Well, there'll be tickets. Baron will be. It'll be easy. Oh man, I I think the last time I did stand up with you was like um, 2009 at the Comedy Works in Denver. Yes, uh, those were really fun shows. Yes, that's when I. That's when it was. Uh, I had a, at that point I, I made a pretty nice paycheck and I left it in the hotel. Remember we stayed in that really cool hotel with all the candy in it. Oh, I didn't stay in that hotel. They had me in the condo, which actually. The Comedy Works downtown condo is, is not bad. I mean, it's like... No. A, and the other one's pretty nice. The one... The suburb one is nice. The suburb too. one's nice, too. But you were staying in that... You were staying in that, like, kitschy yeah. hotel right around the, the corner. Hotel. Yeah. Which was... Uh, would have had the cool restaurant in it and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Comedy Works is... There's a handful of really magical clubs in the country, and Comedy Works is just, just one of those places. Comedy Works is... Uh, yeah. It's, it's um, because the people go... Because it's the comedy works. So, like, if you're a young comic who's headlining for the first time, you'll still get a crowd because they're pretty sure it'll be decent. Yeah. You know? That was when, um, that's when, because uh, I, I, you headlined for the weekend, but I came in like a day early and I headlined on the off night. And then, I opened, right. and then I opened for you the rest of the time. It was really fun. And then during the day, we kind of tooled around Denver and went to vintage record shops. Right. And- Is that when we went to the punk rock shop that I made the joke about? The thing where mm-hmm. I said there was a big anarchy A on the outside right next to it, the hours of operation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no rules. Nine to five. Yeah. Nine yeah. to three on Sundays. <laughs> like, just- we are going to vacuum up oppression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like super tidy. Like it was all, all the shirts were lined up. It was super neat. It was like nicer than a gap. Oh wow! And I was like, "That's." I think that's part of the tidy rebellion. Yeah, you know what I mean, I, I always, I always like a very uh, like you know, someone guy with like an anarchy tattoo or a uh, or an anarchy shirt or something like that or a patch. But it's uh, the A is 
like very meticulously inside the circle. I always think it's like it shouldn't be inside. The A should be busting out of that circle, yeah. like the anarchy sign. It should you shouldn't even care so much to even write it down. My favorite conversation that I've ever heard was uh, John Taylor uh, from Duran Duran was on when Steve Jones had his uh, you know his show uh, Jonesy's that. jukebox. Yeah, and uh, Jonesy goes, uh, "What um." So the A in the circle, what is that all about? And, uh, and John Taylor goes, really? He goes, yeah, what's it about? He goes, it's anarchy. And he goes, well, what's anarchy? And they, they sound alike in my, <laughs> in my version of it. And he goes, um, well, well, Steve, it's like, um, it's like no rules. So there'd be no rules at all. No, there'd be none rules. Uh, I thought it always should have been B for biscuits. <laughs> no, it says the guy from the Sex Pistols. From the Sex Pistols. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that would have been a different song. I want biscuits. Oh. Biscuits in the UK. <laughs> I like cookies in the USA. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. I'd, I'd hop on that more now than I would. Yeah, I think biscuits together. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can get a, a lot of people to agree Jones. on it. He's so great. Yeah, he's right. He we did a full. Um, we shot this thing for our YouTube channel of um, three episodes of Jonesy doing this thing called Game of Jones, where he sings the season plots <laughs> from Game of Thrones. Oh wow! And someone from our team was just like, "Oh, I, I'll before we put this up, I'm going to send this over to someone at HBO. They'll think it's really funny." And the HBO people were like, "Oh yeah, you can't put this up because we were gonna we were gonna use clips from the show." Oh no! And, and like, you know, you just do it. You don't ask. Yeah, if yeah. You just do it. They won't ask say no if you give them the permission. Yeah, if you, by the time they do, by, by the time they know it's over, because so yeah. many people, you know, like bad lip reading, like all these people use yeah. clips from Game of Thrones, and they don't squash it. They would have been fine. It's just they gave them the option, and so yeah. they, and it's so when we did WonderCon this year I showed his I showed season 3 game of Jones and it's fucking great and he's that's really awesome. funny and now we now we've because they said no now we can't put it up ah, that's a bummer oh, man bad lip reading is that's where we need bad anarchy. lip reading is amazing anarchy yeah biscuits are the new anarchy bad lip reading is amazing yeah <laughs> it's unbelievable 100% the NFL ones the NFL ones just fucking kill me and I could give a crap about I don't care about football really but I I just yeah yeah well the game of thrones one I think is that it's uh the storyline is that one of the guys, and it might be Ned Stark, maybe it's Ned Stark, one, well, one of them wants to open a Renaissance-themed park. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's going to be like, and then we'll put these over here. Like, it's, it's, it's really... I went to the Ren Fair this year. It was, it was fun. I, I love going to the Ren Fair. It's a lot of fun. You know what I learned on Hollywood Game Night the other night? That there's a Ren Fair Barbie. What? Oh, is there really? There's a Ren Fair. Like, they're like, which one of these is not a Barbie? Or which one of these is a Barbie? And they listed them all... And every one of them was, they were absurd. And every one of them was actually a Barbie, including Renfair Barbie. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's dirty. Was there dir- one racist person that was it's, like, Black it, Barbie? Black Barbie, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But the Renfair one has Whoa, dirt, dirty Barbie, feet. Black Barbie, lamb. <laughs> oh, Black Barbie, bam, lamb. Black Barbie had a child. Bam, lamb, 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 lamb. I mean, you're like two songs away from an album, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I've got Biscuits I've sort of, in the UK. Yeah. Biscuits in the UK. And Black Barbie. Black Barbie. Bam, lamb. Bam, lamb. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing all right. I, I want to, I want, like you mentioned it, uh, the, the, the Mohawk on Joan Radio, and I want you to uh, reiterate. I was just telling Chris about it. I think it's a brilliant move. I like the Mohawk. Well, by the way. I appreciate that. It's strategical, though. Like, it's, I mean, I like it and I would wear it, but. It's a strategy hawk? Well, this is all gray, mm-hmm. and then I'm going bald back there. Like, I'm, you know, it's wearing through. Mm-hmm. So I just cut it all off. I just cut the parts I don't like. 
I don't like the gray. I don't like the hole at the back. So this is what's left. Yeah. This tidy little, like, almost sailor hat mohawk. You know what, though? It's but, a pompahawk. But that's it. it's like, like a pomp. <laughs> it's like a pompadour and a mohawk. It's yeah. in, but that, that look is kind of in. Right? Yeah. It's, I mean. But it wouldn't matter if it was in or not. That's anarchy. That's, yes. that's anarchy. That's biscuits. You know what yeah. you've got in your head Fuck now? Dude, you've got biscuits I'll in biscuit the UK. I'll the shit out of it. No. I don't care. Have I'll you ever it. seen a guy with a mohawk that's going bald? It's okay. like a, the, he has the spikes and then there's just one missing. There's just a gap. Yes. <laughs> right. So I had it grow down the back and then there's just this noticeable in photographs. You go, well, it just sort of stops for a little bit and then picks back up. And I was like, just, just stop it there. So uh, if you're 20. And you have a mohawk, that's anarchy. But when you're in your 40s and you do it for strategy reasons, that's yep. biscuits. And the if biscuits. you are, and if you are a month, less than a month away from your 51st birthday, um, you're just tragic. How do you feel? You are just absolutely How do you feel about tragic. that? Like, do you, do you it is a okay? panic. It is a panic attack. It's the. It's like oh, somebody's having a crisis. Um, do I feel good about it? Yeah, I like my 50s way better than my 40s. I'm. I hated my 40s, so I really, really? like... Yeah, I mean, I had a good... Like, up to about 44, things were pretty good, and then it just kind of went in the shitter for a while, and now uh, and I'm can enjoying we, my 50s. Can we have 50s. a conversation about that? Yeah, totally. I hadn't talked to you for a while, and it's, you know, as I've... It's a travesty that we're in year four of the podcast, and you're just coming on now, which I accept responsibility for, but I was, I was talking to... Uh, <laughs> I was talking to Dave... Yeah, at uh, your partner on uh, Dave, well, Dave on Anthony. Walking, 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 yes, yeah, and um, we were because he wrote on Talking Dead. Yeah, um, in as much as you can be a writer on that show, he's you know coming up with the the in memoriams and stuff. Yeah, and, and now uh, he's uh, now he writes uh, Marin. Now he yeah. writes on Marin. Yeah, and, yeah. And Dave, Dave Anthony is fucking hilarious. Yes, yeah. he is a phenomenal yeah. comedy. Yes. And the entity. reason you haven't heard of him is he's one of the angriest people that's, <laughs> that's ever drawn breath. He's gotten much better in recent years, not unlike Mark Maron, but there's a reason you don't know who he is. I feel like there's a story that might have come from you where someone was heckling Dave at the improv, and the guy was was a larger gentleman, and the guy stood up to kind of get in Dave's face, and Dave goes, sit down, butterpants. He said, sit down, butterpants. He's really good with the heckle, like because he's already so mad and expecting a fight, probably just from growing up with his dad, that like... A woman yelled at him when we were at the Comedy Works, and he goes, bring it. I grew up with an alcoholic father, and I am so prepared for you. Just knock that shit. You think you can take me down? Do it. I've been hit. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. It was weird. It got super dark. Yeah. Like, his, his comebacks were like, whoa, dude. Like, yeah. just shoveling. But he's, you know, he, he's, he's funny, man. He's real funny. He's a funny dude. Uh, he brings a knife gun to an, a gunfight. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah, but he. So he. So I. I was. I talked to him at the <laughs> at the series at the season finale last year. I said, "How's everything going? You know, how's Greg?" And he was like, "Oh, you didn't hear?" And I go, "No, what?" And he goes, "Yeah, man, he got addicted to dog Vicodin." And I was like, "He got addicted to what?" Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I go, I, "Are you doing a bit right now?" And yeah. he goes, "No, he got but because you know, not the, unlike my haircut. When I when I do something, I do it my way. <laughs> <laughs> I, do it, I do it the way I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, but just going back, I think it's important for people to know that um, you've been sober for a long time, longer than me. And and uh, I, and when we first met. It was oh, you were at that fateful Largo show that I bombed horribly at in like 1996. It you, was it was uh, it was it was I, an Aspen comedy audition uh, sh- showcase. Yes, and we I went up. I think I went up right after you. 
Oh, I'm sorry. And then, um, no, I, I mean, I, I went up right after you. I did well. And Tompkins did really well. And, and Tompkins was the only one that got asked that year. But, um, so I was mad, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I watched you. I I've known you since you were booking the show at UCLA. Yeah, that's right. When we so, were in the early, yeah, yeah. Ba- back then, and when, then you and I both auditioned for Trashed. MTV's Trashed. Yeah, that, so so that let's sort of your. God, we yeah. just keep going back further and further and further. Yeah, yeah. Long history. The first time I ever saw you was at Luna Luna Park, right? Uh, uh, the, which was the Beth was Uncabaret. It was yes. I don't know if it was called Uncabaret at that time. It might have been, but it yep. was uh, it was a comedy show, maybe like a Monday or Tuesday night comedy show at Luna Park in West Hollywood. Sunday nights. Sunday nights. And so, uh, of course, the off night, they would give it to the comedy. And so it was in this little back room and I was at UCLA and I was in this stand-up comedy club where, you know, me and Mike Furman and Steve Callahan, yeah. who's the EP of Family Guy now, and Pat Megan, who writes on Family Guy. But it was, it was good. That's crazy. It was a good group. Uh, the, the class before us was like Shane Black, Sully McCullough, um, Chris Spencer, like Jeez. all these different, you know, it was actually a really, oh, Ed Solomon, um, you know, like that was the class yeah, before us. That's crazy. So, but then I discovered, I discovered what would become, what would come to be known, not it wasn't at the time, as alternative comedy. Yes. And, and immediately fell in love with it. And so I would go to those shows at Luna Park every Sunday with you and Blaine Kapach and Janine. Um, Odenkirk, Odenkirk, Cross, Cross Posehn, yeah, Patton was kind of trickling in a little bit, right? Um, uh, Jack Black would be there every once in a while. Cho, Kathy Griffin, Margaret Cho, and um, it was a, it was a, it was amazing. So imagine like every, you know, quote Tompkins. unquote alternative comic, Paul Tompkins, that you yeah. respect now as open micers, basically, yeah. which is ultimately yeah. what it was. It was the this is our club, this is our room, you know, right? And Beth had sort of a um, um, had a like you, ha- it would be great. Like people didn't like it then, but now people do this kind of these kind of shows all the time. But it was like you couldn't have material; you had to, you had to somehow mine your experiences from the past couple of weeks or month. So, and so yeah, no, you you keep going. Yeah, yeah. So that was just it. That was sort of the thing. And some people were like, well, like Doug Benson was like, well, I don't. That's not what I do. And then they wouldn't get asked to do the show. And then, but it really was like Beth just had this thing that. For a few of us, Janine, myself, Dave, it was really like right in our ballpark. Like I didn't, I learned how to become a comedian there because I had jokes, bad ones before Uncabaret. And then I got sober during Uncabaret and then they had me on every week because they were fascinated with my breakup with Garofalo and all this other stuff. And then I wrote, that's how I ended up writing a one man show and starting my sort of starting my comedy career. But, um, yeah, so that was that was the beginning of that particular Holy shit. That was such an amazing time. Particular and so, thing. So we started uh, a a show at UCLA that well, I maybe no, maybe I didn't have no, I don't know who someone started a show at UCLA that it was on campus and it was all the same people. So it was just like on a Tuesday night or oh, something wow. in the Cooperage, which was our kind of like food court area that had a stage. And um so because I watched you guys do this different style of comedy, which I hadn't yet figured out how to categorize, having just come off of the 80s comedy boom, where everything was very much this, this, joke, joke. Yeah. And then watching this very free form, we're yeah. just trying to find ideas, and, yeah. and it's loose, and people have notebooks. I saw no jokes in before, right before it was jokes and characters. So you were either telling jokes, or you were emo, or bobcat. Right. Like you were, a, you were an absurd 
thing that you just needed to get a hook. their head around. You just needed a quick hook. Yeah, you had, and you had to have a nickname because when Posehn started, he called himself the Piranha. That's right. So he had a nickname, like he was in that era, and I was this close to calling myself Skull Candy the Impaler. So for no reason, like for no reason. But yeah. So I saw you, I saw you guys. Like I would see Janine with a notebook, and I would go, "Oh, so having a notebook." You know, having a notebook on stage is a fucking habit that I, to this day, I still do it because I developed it back then. And even though I don't use the notebook, I just like having it there. And so when I did that set at Largo in 96, I was was in the midst of singled out. And so it was because of that I was able to get on some shows. And Largo was just starting to become like the hot. You know, like alternative comedy had had evolved a few years, yeah. and everyone was getting real good, and it had this audience and this following. And Largo was this hotbed of amazing comic energy, and the audiences were great. And so, you know, I had, I had I had wanted to do stand up in college. I did a little bit in college, and then afterwards, I didn't do it, but I was doing single out, and so I ran into Josh DiDonato, who was running that room, who went to UCLA. Yep. That's where I knew him from. And he said, uh, hey, man, you should come by and do the show. And I was like, sure, I did. You know, I want to do stand-up. That's the ultimate thing. But yeah. I've just been afraid to start it. But this is a great place to start. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it would essentially be like dropping a kindergartner in a calculus exam. But the kindergartner thinks, I know math. Yeah. Um, and so I got on stage. I had my notebook. I purposely had undeveloped ideas because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Right. And even if I had had developed ideas, I don't think they would have been good because I just I was young. I was young, and and really just sucked the air out of the room. Completely sucked the air out of the room. Well, you know what? Lisa Langang had this sort of bizarre. She was a girl who booked it after Josh. She had I still biz- talk to her. She had this bizarre way of putting new people right up front, like in the worst possible position for them, following the host who could sometimes be great. Or sometimes do like what Brody Stevens does, which is like absurd, and you're laughing, but you're not really ready for someone to come up and just do anything stand-up-y. And so you were in a tough position. And I think certainly there was a room full of people like, whatever, singled out. You know what I mean? Because if David Cross and I were like talking one day and we're like, we were so judgmental of anything that came before us that if you had a fucking callback, you were a hack. Wow. Like if you rolled your eyes, it would be like, oh, please. Like you couldn't walk around with a microphone. You couldn't have a guitar. Like you couldn't do anything because it was sort of like this. It was like cleaning out all of that, all of those things that seemed like a trick. Yeah. Like even though having a notebook and not knowing what you're doing is also a trick. Well, it's, it's not, like the, it's nonconformist conformity. It's, yes. right, it's like the whole it's thing. Biscuits. Like, it's biscuits. Per, it's Pearl Jam. <laughs> biscuit like, comedy. We, we just wear what we wear. I know, but you're yeah. all wearing leggings yeah. and short pants <laughs> and docks. So you don't, you have a real yeah. uniform on. You're almost the Beatles. Like everyone <laughs> looks exactly the same. So it was just this kind of, um, slight rebellion. And also it was around the same time as grunge. So it came with this, like, earnestness and everybody wanted to be i think it was good because the women in that scene succeeded quickly and faster than the men so like there was a mr show but like silverman and janine and kathy griffin and cho yeah those people got they the girls were the ones that got big quickly keitlinger like they were the ones that actually blossomed out of that scene i don't think people ever remember they kind of remember that and then later on Zach and you know whatever other people would come come out of it you know what an incredible time and 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 it it was um, so 
we kind of knew we, we sort of knew each other then, and I was I I was a huge fan of your stand up, and I feel like a lot of my stand I I see I don't I don't know if you uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I see traces of Greg Barron influence in my stand up to this day, which is like that, yeah. really really fast. You know, you you were one of the first people that I was like, oh, you can just go up and go, and just like hammer people really fast yeah. with a bunch of fast. If you move, if you move quickly enough, they're not aware that there aren't any jokes. <laughs> like, I'm in your lesser kudu. Good night. You know, like kudu, the, less, the, the lesser yeah, kudu there joke. A lot of, there was a lot of like working up to one big undercut. What was that joke where you saw the lesser kudu and you're like, and there I am, and we're having this experience, I and I don't about, know when the experience is over. Like, yeah, it was like it was like the thing where you go, I don't know. I went there and didn't understand like i didn't like it i didn't care i wasn't moved by it and i didn't know how long the experience was supposed to laugh or when the right time to leave the cage was and so i'm like this is just it's i go because it doesn't have an ending there's no clear point where you're done like if it went i've been a lesser kudu thank you good night and you go well fuck i walked away i'm not going back again <laughs> so i would wait for other people to leave and that, yeah that was that was that bit and so, then i think it ended with me being in a museum not understanding a painting and punching a woman in the head because <laughs> i think it was one of those and so then i hit her Punchlines, yeah. which oh. are pretty great, and, <laughs> yeah. then I, and then I'd ring a bell, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so, uh, Thank you. so that was so trashed. You would audition for trashed, yeah, and then and then I ended up getting trashed. But then we sort of, you know, we our, our scenes sort of circled each other for a while. But I didn't know your sobriety goes all the way back to uncab so, days. So ninety six. So like right in the middle of ninety six. My last was... drink, my last drinking night was at uncab, and then I stopped at the Formosa <laughs> on the way to meet Tompkins at Birds. Jesus. So I was like, and I threw up on the bar at Birds and then took some money out of Paul's wallet and bought myself. A, like, I really was like, it was just like bad. Then I went back to where I was living with David Cross and played guitar and woke him up at like five in the morning. And then I woke up and was like, this is not, you know, and it was that thing. I think part of the thing that was, was I think one, there were a zillion. There's always like a zillion motivating factors happening at once. You know, there was a girl that said, please don't ever call me when I, you're drunk that I called when I was drunk, who was like, you're a fucking asshole. And there was the fact that like Cross... Cross and I came from couldn't have been from more different backgrounds. Like he grew up fucking dirt poor with no dad, and in the South and Jewish. And I grew up white, white, white with money. So here's this guy who's had everything, and is a fucking failure. And here's this guy who's got his own TV show. That's the like it's what he's wanted his entire life that he's been focused on. That it was cross comedy when it was in Boston, and he came out here and he worked on the Ben Stiller show, and now he's got Mr. Show, and he fucking worked for it, and he would stay home at night and write sketches and not go out and drink. And I was like, I gotta get my shit together, man. So Cross being around Cross, oddly enough, you know, was a part of the reason of like I gotta figure out what what do I take out of the equation that makes it so I can at least do stand up mm-hmm. well. So that was it. So I was like, I'm right. done. And I was also pretty pretty sick, you know. Well, you, and so you were when I quit in two thousand three. You were the first person that I talked to. Yes. Right after I right after I quit drinking, I think it was like the next day. I think I called you and I said, "I think I can't do this anymore," um, but I don't know if I can. What was the process like? Is it hard? I don't know if I can do this. And yep. you totally just sort of walked me through it and took the time and you know so in addition to you know in addition to sort of like being a stand-up role model you were also a like a life role model of like oh my god this guy you know this guy that i respect he did it right he was he's supportive of me why can't i do it and so 
I did, and that was that. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm making it sound like, and then everything was fine. I mean, ultimately, it all it, it all worked out. It was it was difficult, but it. But I I but I appreciate your support. It's a it's like a it's a roadblock. You know, for a lot of people, it's a roadblock, and you take that roadblock open, and the fucking road opens, and suddenly you can do shit. Suddenly you have the you have the wherewithal. Like I need to be firing on all cylinders to be mediocre. <laughs> I have to have it all together to do like fucking undecent work. Like I need to like I can't I can't have anything distract me. Otherwise, I will not. I you know what I mean. So for me, it was just like I can't get anything done, and I'm you know, and I'm. But isn't it funny though that we take this idea that what if I need this to be funny, or what if I need this to succeed, or what if I need? And then when maybe you didn't feel that way, but then when I when I quit, no, because it's it's like courage. It's like, a, you know, there's, there's something about, you know, everybody, you have one drink and suddenly you've got a bunch of ideas, you know, and you're like, oh, fuck, this has opened up a, this opened up a new world. It's a world you already possess. You just have to allow yourself to access well, it without it's, it. It's just that people who have overactive brains, like overactive internal monologues, anxiety right. and, and whatnot, what they don't, I think what they don't realize is that something like alcohol or drugs, it just, it kind of knocks their it kind of knocks that voice out of the way for a few minutes right? because people don't realize you can learn to do that yourself without, you know, the distortion that comes along with substances, you know, I mean, using it that way. Right. And then, you know, uh, you know, if you jump to the dog pills thing, what the other thing was (laughs) is that I struggle with, you know, some form of mental illness. Like I struggle with some sort of like anxiety and depression things that didn't go because my life was so much better after the booze. I was like, okay, I'm fine. But um, uh, it, un- not unlike alcoholism, mental illness is progressive. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And I had a very bizarre career trajectory that no other comics ever had, which is that you got famous for writing a book about relationships for fun. You know, I wrote He's Just Not That Into You one summer after Sex and the City was gone, and I had said the thing in the show, and I was like, maybe we'll just make a... Somebody else was like, let's Fucking make a book out of it. Boom, Oprah. And it just rocketed, and I got everything you would want to have if you wanted to be a self-help author and not a comedian. And when it was all over, I was lost, like really lost and really like, and, and now it gives me an opportunity because I know there's people from my podcast that are listening to this go, are you going to tell Chris that you called them out on your podcast? I'm like, yes, I'm going to tell him because I was really upset with everybody. I would write these long letters to my, like, the, like an insane person, like an insane person. I would write these long letters to my manager. I don't understand how you were like, just like accusing him and, I don't know if you met my manager. Is David Martin? He's that he he may be the nicest person that's ever been in show business. He's not an asshole. He's mm-hmm. just a lovely Australian. And I, I know like, him. And I was like, Hardwick never even has me on his fucking body. What happened? I used to he used to fucking do shows with me. Like I really lost my mind. By the I way, was, now to that extent, maybe is was a little kooky, but but you're not wrong. Like you should have been on this podcast. Right, but a long how hard time would ago. it have been for me to go? Hey, man. I, we haven't seen you in a long time. I know you're super busy. I feel a little bit like I w- wish you would ask me to be on your podcast. Oh, you would How have. hard would it be to like... And I would have immediately said, oh my God, of course. I, you know, the problem is when you build these... When you, when you kind of build these kingdoms in your head of what other people are doing and you feel like they're excluding me, they're moving on, they're not, they don't want me, it, most of the time... They're really just thinking about themselves. No, one hundred percent. And 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 so you know it's it sucks. And I'm and I'm and of course I'm really sorry. And, uh, and no, it, it, look, I, I I 
I, I get it now. I didn't get it then. You know, I, I've had conversations with, um, I've had conversations with Janine Garofalo who feels like, fuck, how come, where are my buddies from back in the day? You know, everybody has that thing. And it's not that people aren't thinking about you. It's just that they're like, I'm doing this other thing. And it's, it doesn't, I'm not, I haven't even been aware that you would be something that would be a part of this. Or a lot of people are like, he's a zillionaire. He's fine. Like people just assume you've got a thing going on because they're not watching your career and checking in with you to see if you're going to be okay. You don't know till you hear later on. But I had like a, so what happened was I got like on the verge of, I mean, if I'm being super candid, like I got very, very almost suicidally depressed one Christmas. Um, and I was fighting with Amira and it was just a bad, just a bad time. And my dogs, who were 18 each, had, had hydrocodone, which I didn't know what it was until somebody had walked by during a dinner party and went, Jesus, what is that? That's for your dogs? You know? And I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about it. So this, about a month or two later, I was like really depressed, and it was Christmas Eve, and I was like, fuck this. And I took one, and it just, everything felt much, much better. Like it just smoothed everything out, and then so you know I would, in, in, that is amazing. I would now just so you, I would never think to do that. I'd be like, well, that's a dog pill. I mean, I know yeah, it's hydrocodone, but I maybe throw up. Well, I was just like, well, then here's my thing. I'm like, well, this isn't this is for dogs, so it's not it, the rationalization was like, well, this isn't real drugs. It's like yeah. children's it's, aspirin. It's but it is exactly real drugs. In fact, it's at three times the potency because dogs' metabolisms work fast. Fuck. So it was really like a really hardcore opiate and I didn't know. And I was, I wasn't really even sure what it was. I just know that when I took them, I felt better and then I couldn't get off them, which is the classic. You take one, you don't take another one for a month. And then it just built up to two years where I was like, I've made some in this time period, I've really made some mistakes and the up and downs are bad. And you must be looking back and you know, when you're take when it was at its worst, at its worst, how many were you taking? Five, five a day. Yeah. Well, I take five and then that would, how are you getting them? Well, the dogs would get them, you know, like they would get them mailed. And then one of the dogs died because they were 18. So then there was just a jar of them. And they would literally like, like it was like a shaker full of them. There was just a ton of them. So your dogs weren't like going to an alley downtown? No, no, no. (laughs) That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah, with Anthony Kiedis' dog, we would meet under the the bridge. You have to do all the different ones, oh, like jingle, uh, jingle dogs. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you no, started I like that. It. I was I just guessing. No, I like it. I like it. I believe in it. So yes, that's man. amazing. So, so you, so you must at some point have looked, looked back, and and that's you know the problem with addiction and the problem with this kind of thing is that it is so progressive, and it's incrementally progressive. But much in the same way that interest accrues over time and all of a sudden starts becoming a very substantial amount. Right. This, that type of thing, you can look back after a while and go, how did I get here? Like, well, when did that happen? The thing that, I, the thing that I understood about it the entire time was I never drank again. I didn't do – I didn't want – I wasn't partying. I wasn't like, yeah, let's get out of our minds. I was like, I don't want to kill myself. And this will keep me from killing myself, except for when I start to come off of it, when then I feel like killing myself and taking others with me. And I can't stop the voices, so then I'll take more of them. So it was like this really insidious, it's just what drug addiction is. And I couldn't admit to anybody that I was, I was still going to meetings and stuff. So how are you justifying that? um, They were dog pills. That's so interesting. And also, well, I I, I assume this is what doctors give. Like, I'm medicating myself to keep myself from... I'm doing it... I've I've, I've prescribed myself my own 
medication to keep myself mentally. So you were, well, you were, able, this, you were right? able to put it in a cubicle that made it acceptable. Like yeah, but once you start telling those lies, everything's off the table. So you just start, you know, you just become like like drug addicts do. You just lie about all kinds of shit. What would you have done, like with the tools that you have now? What would you have done differently when you got into that moment where you felt like gone to a therapist? Were you not seeing a therapist at the no. time? Oh. Uh-uh. And I didn't call my sponsor or anything like that because I'd sort of distanced myself from the program. So I was just sort of like – It's so hard. It's dirty. so hard when you're in the depths of it though to have the presence of mind to – you know, you almost have to be kind of lucky in a way that you have one moment of clarity or someone comes along and says, you are a pile of mess right now. Yep. You need to go because I would imagine when you're in the depths of that, you can't see out of that hole – Right. To go, I should go see a therapist. This, what, what seems like the simplest idea probably wasn't the, even... No, and it, it really took like some very private, horrible things to you know, land me into rehab. And then also like... And then I was just... You do. You look back and you go, how did I not... Because that was it. Then I went and saw a therapist. And then I got on you know, um, prescription meds, which I've been on for a year and a half now. And, they, and that I describe as like the... It was like I was in an elevator that was falling, and as soon as I got on the medication, I take a I take an anti anxiety in the evening and a, a antidepressant in the morning, very small doses, and the elevator just stopped. And then all the problems fell. Like for instance, I would go, okay, wh- what am I mad at Chris about really? Like the guy's having a career, so fucking call him. Oh, don't act like he's such a fucking baby. And your manager has been nothing but good to you. What about your wife and kids, dude? Like wake the fuck up. And so it was a really good like. But then I could deal with it. Because I was like, okay, I fucked up. What do I got to do to fix it? Whereas when I was falling, I was you were wrong. You fucked up. And my wife fucked up. And they were like, it's just that weird thing of like the problem was on every, the show business was like, everybody left me behind. It was like, whoa, dude. Did you ever accept responsibility for anything? No, not until, not until I got sober. No, really. Like I blame, I would just, I would go on these tirades about being um, beaten down by he's just not that, that book fucking ruined my life. Like I would say, and I'm like, I'm saying this from the home that I live in. That was purchased with the money and the schools that my daughters go to that was per- like how did it ruin really ruined your life like yeah. it was well just i think really- i think it, I think what it probably did was rip your identity in half and it made you because you were this you were a comedian, you were a fantastic comedian on this one trajectory, and this other thing pulled you aside, you know you go on Oprah, you have this advice book, and then all of a sudden they 're going, "Hey, do you want this kind of show and i 'm sure in your mind you 're going well. It wouldn't be my first choice, but you know what? I think I could probably make it work. Why not? This is an opportunity. Got to do it. I can be funny. I can be me. I can make this work. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, as, as we've all done with... But you make the point perfectly right there, which is... <coughs> and I think I heard um, Justin Theroux, in a, uh, the guy that wrote Iron Man and Axe occasionally, whatever. And yeah, yeah goes out with, in yeah. the follow... Or the, uh, the, the left behind or leftovers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a talented, talented yeah. guy. But he said the second you start selling something back to yourself, it's not for you. The second you say, I could probably, I might be able, if I do it this way, you know what I mean? As opposed to the thing you really want that you know you can do. The thing that you know, well, it'll take work, but this is what I want. As opposed to like, I'll take a daytime relationship show and make it into the daytime relationship show version of the daily show. Like, that's, that math doesn't work and you're not taking into consideration the world or what's really being asked of you. And if I had it to do over again, I would have said... Because I said no for a really long time, and then I realized I wasn't going to get anything else. Like Comedy Central wasn't interested in doing any, no no of the other networks wanted to do anything with me. I mean, they all wanted, or they wanted me to write a relationship show or something like that. I mean, so. look, it it 
You know, we've all had those points in our... I mean, I've done... I did so many pilots that I'm lucky did not get picked up because of right. the types of shows they were. And I know that sounds shitty to people who are looking for work and like, how the fuck could you be happy about that? Because I don't care how much money you make or how many times a day your show is on the air. If you don't like it and it doesn't fulfill you creatively... right. At a certain point, it the 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 weight of that will crush you. And again, I know that sounds shitty and spoiled to people if you haven't experienced it. But but at the end of the day, you really have to like what you're doing. You have to like what you're doing. Yeah, you, and you have to like yourself in it. Yeah, and you have to like yourself for doing it. But you also have to realize like that is not who you are. Nobody, that's not you. None of it's you. It's like I am me when I'm at. Uh, with my kids at their dance school. That's that's my actual life. That's when people actually see me. That's when I'm in the real world being me or at dinner with my wife or out with my buddies. You know, that's that's what's real. This other shit is just stuff that we're all sort of focused on because we're here and it doesn't mean anything. It just I don't care if the people on Twitter don't like me anymore. Like I, I you know you start to, you start to get invested in this like what the world thinks of you and what you're putting out there. And it's like, it just doesn't fucking mean anything. Yeah. Especially, I think I've learned so much now from Twitter, like, Oh, it just doesn't fucking mean there's just mean people there that are going to say shitty things. And then they're like, and then there's just, you just do your thing. You just fucking do your thing, you know? And, and, and you don't care because what's matters is like when I'm off work and I have enough money that I can take my kids on vacation or I can go do something fun. You know what I mean? Or like, I just did this eight-week tour in Australia, and it was a thing called the Melbourne International Fo- uh, Comedy Festival Roadshow. So it wasn't beholden on me to sell tickets. There are four acts on the show and a host. There was a tour manager and a stage manager, and we went from town to town to town. And every night it was full theaters. We talked about this. The night, and I, I was like, this is, my, this is what I want. This is it. This is, the, this is the tops. I'm fucking working every night. I'm doing stand-up. Everyone likes it. It's not my responsibility to be great. I don't need to be bigger than this. This is exactly what I want to do. I just want to do my act. I just want to be funny and make friends. And I don't want... I don't... Having had a quick moment of like fame, it's like, oh, it's so fucking hard to figure out what you're supposed to stay or what you're supposed to do or what matters. And none of it matters. Nobody cares. Because one day I'll get sick and something will go wrong and I'll, I won't need Twitter followers. Right? Yeah. I won't need Twitter followers. I'll need, I mean, I've made some cool friends on there. Don't get me wrong. Twitter has been great. And the people that listen to my podcast and, you know, you know, how podcast fans are, they're some of the coolest, they're yeah. some of the greatest people ever because they, they need this and they come to you and they're like, thank you for your podcast. And that, that feels good. But like, like, wh- like, why am I not on Chris's show is not a thing. That's not real. That's not a real thing. That's a stupid thing to be. And also, if you want to be on Chris's show, and just ask him. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you're creating a thing that's based on how much you think Chris thinks you're popular or if the world thinks you're popular or if you're done or not. And it's horseshit, right? You get to control how that is anyway, by just like going, Hey, I'd like to be on that show or whatever. I wrote you and said, Hey, if you do the meltdown shows again, I'd like to do it. Yeah. Cause I thought, well, they don't see me. I barely ever do your show. Why would they think of me? So if I write him and say, I'd like to do your show, maybe he'll say yes. But if I, if I go fucking Jonah, man, <laughs> Him and Kumail have fucking lost it. They used to be cool. <laughs> I, only yeah, like Ky- I only like Kyle Clark. <laughs> Who? Oh, he's right behind you, Jonah. He's Again. been right behind you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't just mean here. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, and look, you're in a, you're in a, and you, you have built a really beautiful thing. And I think I was trying to explain to my friends in Australia about your show because I was like, it's. It's never been. You like found the right perfect thing 
at midnight is like the perfect thing that like they've been trying to do shows that somehow encapsulate or use the internet for years. Like we're going to run a scroll, a scroll of what people are tweeting. Nobody gives a shit. Like it's going to be interactive and you can, nobody gives a shit, but your thing is perfect. It is what those things have been trying to be for a long time. And it's great. There's no other thing like it. It's your original own deal. And like, it's, it's something you can go, I did, you know, I was at midnight. Like I, one of the things that makes me happiest about the show is that, especially, uh, you know, when, when comics do it for the first time, you know, a lot of times they're nervous or they don't know how, and then they do it afterwards and they're like, and they, and it's, it happens all the time. So I know I'm not making this up or I'm not seeing something that's not there. They genuinely say to me, like, I can't believe how much fun this was. This was so much fun. And I would, I want to come back. Like, even if they don't win, they're like, I want to come back and do this because the spirit of it's just, I don't know. It, it just sort of it activates the thing that we like to do. Well, it's it's fun. There's no there's no real stakes. It's ridiculous. But every one of us is confronted with a computer every single day. So the fact that like someone's managed to sort of find the nuances of the things that are funny about what's going on in the world and the hashtags and stuff because we do, you know, when a news story breaks, I go to Twitter to see if it's really happened. When somebody yeah. dies, like you just go to see who's posting what. You know, I don't. I, I can't just go to CNN or any of those things because they might not know. I had a friend. I had a famous friend die, and I was in Scotland, and I found out this mo- like hour, like an hour after he died, because I heard from a friend from a friend, and I was like, I wonder how long it's going to take. And so I just sat there all night and I watched Twitter, and sure enough, someone's like, I'm in, I'm in New York, and I think there's an ambulance outside of, like it just started happening. Oh wow! Hours before it was actually made, like maybe even, maybe even 24 hours before it was mentioned. People were, I saw an ambulance outside of so-and-so's place. I'm pretty sure, I don't know what it is, people speculating about it, you know, and then piecing it together. And it was a news story before it was actually a news story. And so the Twitter makes sense because you're like, well, there, somebody close to somebody's going to tweet. Yeah. Right? If a thing goes off, people are going to go, this just happened, and then it'll pass around. You know, sometimes they're true. Sometimes it's the guy from, what it was I got duped on something yesterday. Who'd they say died? Oh, the guy from Walking, The Walking Dead. Who did, did they say? Was it Norman or was it? Uh... Yeah, they said he. Uh, it said found dead in a hotel room, and then you click the link, and it goes, "Gotcha." <laughs> Two thousand and so lot of people to click this link. Well, of course they would click this link. Yeah. They didn't get me. Yeah. Yes, you got my humanity. <laughs> that's like Boy, the. Uh, sure, that's, that's you like... sure got me. You scared me about a guy I don't even know. That's dead. That's the. Uh, that's that. Uh, the Simpsons thing where they're doing like the morning radio shows doing crazy calls. Yeah. They're like, oh, here we go. He's picking up. He's picking up. Hello? Or is this uh, Mr. Johnson? Yes. Well, sir, your, your wife has been found. She was in a terrible car accident. Oh, my God, no. I was just with her. And you hear him going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he, like, he turns the radio away. Yeah. Like, but it's that kind of. It's not hard no. to fuck people up yeah. in that way. Yeah. So you, um, you had this sort of weird identity crisis. And so what did you, what did you come away with? So I came away with. Basically, what I was just saying is like, I'm all of the things, just like you're all of the things that I am. Like, if I'm, if somebody asks me for relationship help, that's then I'm a relationship expert. That's it in that moment. And then I play in the reigning monarchs. And then when I do stand up, I'm a stand up. But I'm just Greg Barrett or the King Sweater, which is now what I've changed my name to because I've got a very strange ego. But, um, but I, I don't wrestle with it. I just don't care. It doesn't matter. I'm my, I'm true and mighty's dad, and I'm Amira's husband. And that's those are the those. If I just do those things. Everything else takes care of itself. It just sort of falls into place. So if I keep that as like my North Star, 
I don't give a shit. I don't care what, if somebody wants me to work on a relationship show, I'll do that. I don't care. I just need to, I just need to make money and work and be of service and help people who need what help. And if I, somebody wants me to go play in their band or do whatever, or I like, you know, go to Australia for eight weeks, I'll do that because none of it really matters anymore. You know, it doesn't, I don't need, um, and I've been around long enough that people kind of get it or they don't. Yeah. You know, but I've also become really solidified in my opinions too. Like I used to sort of, there was a period where I would push the book away cause I wanted dudes to like me. And then I, and then I realized a couple months ago or not a couple months ago, when I was in Australia and that, that hashtag all, uh, yes, all women, mm-hmm. I started to go, man, I don't like men at all. Like I was like, women can't have a fucking hashtag. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I have always stood over here and I'm not going to fucking back off it. Fuck you dudes. Get your shit together. Leave women alone. Let them have their own fucking hashtag. It's a hashtag. You know, yeah. I, I remember when you told me right after the book kind of popped and you said you went to do a show and you go, you know, I'm up there and I'm, you know, the show's not going as well. And so I start digging into all the old, like a list stuff, digging back. And it's just, you go, no one's responding, and I'm sweating like I've not sweated since I was an open micer. And then you finally just went, uh, "What? What? What is it? What do you want?" And someone just raised their hand and they go, "I have a question about the book." And you're like, "Do you, do you want to talk about the book?" And everyone's like, "Kind of." And oh, so you wow. turned all the lights on, and the show just became basically a Q and A. It was that's exactly right. It was the first. Crazy. It was the very first set that I did after Oprah, uh, and it was at the Improv, and I went with Dave, and we drove home, and I was like, "It's over. It, my career's over. What am I going to do?" And then, and then in that 24-hour period, I realized, just fucking mention it. At the beginning, just talk about Oprah. Just give them a little taste. Yeah. And so I wrote this bit about being on the show. And then I went back, and then I went back into Chain Wallet and all the other horse shit. And then they were like, yeah, fine, no problem. Just don't pretend I'm not here. Yeah. You know, I'm a room full of women, and we, we came out, you know, we came out to hear about this thing because that's how we know you, dude. Tom Wilson does that. He says he, when he does a road gig, he's like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll bring up that I'm Biff and we'll, I'll make some jokes around it. I'll answer some questions. But after that, comedy show time. Yeah. Time to like just, now you're, you're going to hear my jokes about my kids and stuff. And I'm certain you're held to certain things. There are things people want to hear from you. You can't help it. I mean, that was the thing that was so, obviously, in a bigger sense, that's the thing that happened to Chappelle. Where yeah. he's being held to these notions and ideas of who he is or what he's about or what's appropriate to say to him. And I think he goes to a place like Irvine and it's all white people, which has happened when I opened for him years ago. And somebody shouts out the N-word, and he doesn't know what the hell's happening. And then the guy's being dragged out of the show going, no, because he says it. Because he says it. No, I'm not mad. He's a, No, he says it. And they're like, oh, they Jesus. But you don't get it. So it's that thing of like sometimes you, are, you baffle your audience or your audience is, is not aware of the joke. You know, and that happens with a lot of people. You know, I did some shows with a tell. Now, cause when, so one of the things I did when I was trying to, make a, try and figure my career out was I asked if I could just go open for people. Because I didn't want to perform for the people that came to see me because they weren't really stand-up people. So I was like, could I open for Patton and could I open for a tell? And so I would go do some shows with those guys where nobody even knew who I was. With the tells crowd, nobody had any idea who I was. <laughs> Zero idea. <laughs> and... Uh, that and feel great. It was it was nice. And then on the very last night with the tell, I mentioned the book, and the guy goes, "I knew it." <laughs> but it was already halfway into my act, so they were fine. But it was, um, but you know, even a tells crowd are like, those aren't people he wants to be responsible for. Those late show crowd people that come to see him that are insane and slamming Jaeger and knocking. Well, you know what happens is we are I said Jaeger almost like Jaeger. A cross between- Jaeger. <laughs> 
Jägermeister and Hagar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure he's drink. trying to develop that drink right now. Oh, my God. It, it Sammy Jägar. You drink and then you pull like a curly blonde lock out of your mouth. <laughs> Jägar sounds like a planet-consuming um, Decepticon. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Jägar. Oh, yeah, the the Jägar, Jägar is coming. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but um, I think... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! No, I, I just sidetracked myself with a fucking Jaeger joke. I like so, Jaeger. It's, 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 One of those classic Hardwick Jaeger jokes. It just, uh, it just wasn't. He one. does it all the time. Hashtag Jaeger, by the way, everybody, please. <laughs> but um, so first of all, was Oprah? What was Oprah like as an, an individual? Well, here's what's cool. So in the in the uh, in the post rehab, because uh, I didn't go the first time. I just went to meetings. So the, in my post rehab thing, like. Maybe a month in, Amir and I got invited back to teach a life class because we put out a book. We put out a book that we had written that we didn't release because uh, I didn't want to. Uh, and we released it in America called It's Just a Fucking Date. And, um, and they asked us to teach a life class. So I had already been on Oprah three times. And all the t- every time I was on there, I only saw her on the set. And that was it. One time she came backstage and said, that was an awesome show. Uh, and and uh, which they said she never did, so that was kind of cool. But I didn't really know her, know her. But then when we went to do the life class, we we met with her to rehearse. She came down in her pajamas, <laughs> with her hair undone, no makeup on, and she was one of the things I realized when I was there was like she's no different than us. Show business. She's a she was a TV host. Yeah, she was originally a TV host. Like she was she was not a goddess that like she wasn't a queen or she wasn't this person that built cities in Africa. Like she was just a person that wanted to be on television. So she's like that backstage. She's funny and she can be dirty and she's just in show business. And she's a good, good host. Like one of the things that's really cool is like, if you're mildly amusing, she gives it to you. Like, you know, like when you do a good morning radio show, when the guys, when you go on and guys just laugh, like they just are like, man, thank, at least, at least they're like, I'm psyched you're here. This is welcome. You can have my piece of territory. I'm not trying to own this. And she's the same way. She's like, I'm Oprah. So you can have the floor, take the floor. Like the third time I did the show, she was super sick. And she was like, just do it. Just run the show. Just, I will ask you questions, but you got to run the show. Isn't it interesting though? Cause you, you do as a performer. And I think a lot of us don't really think about this when we're because you know when you start out you're like I just want to succeed because I want to get to this place where I can have these things that I think are going to fill the hole and make my life better and and but I think it's an important question to say well who's my audience because your audience is basically you know like you mentioned Attell's late show crowd right well if Attell gets famous because he's doing a show about going out and getting drunk and fucking around at two o'clock in the morning. That's right. Who's going to respond to that show? People who like to go out and get drunk. Who's going to come to that show? If you do a thing about relationship experts, who's going to come to those? You know, like you, you oh. have to be aware of oh. what you're putting into the world because that's it's going to reflect. That's what you're going to attract, yeah. right? And that's that's a hundred percent it. And when I, I quit stand up for a little while because I couldn't deal with it, and I would say when I talked about it. It's not your fault that you came here to hear relationship stuff. I, that, that's why I'm famous. That's why you're here. That's why you know me. I, there was a movie. There's a whole deal. And I don't have that for you because that was never my thrust. That was never the thing that I talked about. It was never, you know, I could talk about it. I'm good at it on a person-to-person level. I'm good at it on Oprah. But it's not a stand-up set. 
it's not stand up. It's not stand up comedy in any way. And and it's or it's the most pedestrian, uninteresting stand up. I've seen Bill Burr has better relationship material. You know, Dave <laughs> Anthony has some of the best relationship material I've ever heard. Like it's just wrapped in Dave Anthony, but it's smart and it's really good. And I just don't I don't have that stuff. So it was one of those things where I, and I didn't and I refused to try to write it. That was my problem was I would, I would tell a story about Oprah and then I would do nothing else. And, you know, I remember one time, this is a perfect example of what my career was Irvine with Karen Kilgariff. Karen was in the bathroom during my set. She went, she, there were three girls in this and they were like, I fucking hate this. This is stupid. He didn't say anything I wanted him to. And they were super drunk and super gross. And yet there was a guy that laughed so hard in the front row. He had a seizure <laughs> and fell out of his chair oh, and they gosh. sent the paramedics in and I was like, was he super drunk? They go, no, he was just laughing so hard he didn't get air to his head. He died. Let's see, that's where you need to... <laughs> so oh you're God. like... Did he die? No, he didn't die. Oh, he good. Died. They yeah. said he almost died. They were like, he yeah. was very close. That okay, was very... well, okay, so then you need to put that on a poster. Yeah. The warning, you may die at this show. You could possibly yeah. die. You could yeah. use that as a marketing tool. The guy's fine. He'd be fine with fine. it. He's yeah. fine. But the thing was, it was, like, it was that thing of like, I know how to do this thing really well, but I, I also know how to... I also, You know what I mean? It's, both things are happening at once. Yeah. Well, that that's why I think, you know, ultimately... Success or not, success isn't going to be the thing or that, you know, the material success or that thing that people think of as like, oh, that's the thing to have. Um, it That part's fine, but the real thing is, and like when I decided to just start, you know, pursuing things that I actually cared about, I just felt like as long as I'm doing stuff that makes me happy... It, if I if I can survive, it doesn't really matter, you know. Like, to, but to get into this mode of like, I need these other things to try to, and it's not like I'm above it. I still, you know, I, I, I we all still do this version of oh, if I just had this, if I just had this, if I just had this, sure. and it yeah. and it, then you get that thing. It's like oh, now this thing and this yeah. thing. I and, thought you know, it was this thing. It's not. It's, it's a, the other I mean, thing. It, it can be a fine roadmap, but ultimately, you you have to. You have to love what you're doing because you have to live with yourself and, you, you know, and that's right. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you get no decision on how people receive you. No, you just don't get to, you don't get to, you don't. And I, like and it. I think it's easy yeah. to look at, um, you know, like, uh, I, I guess, I guess musicians are probably the, the best because it's pretty, I think it can be pretty black and white with them where, you know, or like with Kurt Cobain or Pearl Jam or bands like that, where all of a sudden they're super famous, but it's not necessarily what they thought it would be. And then so, you know, you hear these stories about they thought they were a fraud because they felt like this public facing side of them was not who they are. And everyone thinks they know who they are. And you as a regular person goes, well, who fucking cares? They can just get in their Rolls Royce and go back to their big home. It's like, yeah, but then they're sitting in a big empty house and they have this insane identity crisis, which is a real thing. Like, right. it's, it's a real thing. I mean, obviously, you know, it would be helpful that, like, they have all the resources in the world to try to fix it, but most of them are too <laughs> fucked up to do that. Well, did you And that's why you need yeah. to have someone in your life that can go, you should just go over here for a bit. Did you yeah. see the um, uh, Dave Grohl's uh, South by Southwest it was a great keynote speech? speech right. No. And so he talked about the thing that killed Kurt Cobain was guilt. Guilt that he, that he, what, that he wasn't cool, that he had let down some idea of who he was supposed to be, and he and it's the dumbest thing in the world to be killed by. And you can't, like you said, you can't forecast who's going to like you or what you're going to do. So you might as well just do, just do it because yeah. it also changes. Like I, I don't know if we talked about this the other night, Jonah, but 
when I came out of that crew, what we talked about earlier, um, there were a lot of people that were like, Greg Barron is not, by the way, alternative. Like there were actually articles and people said things like he's not in that. He's not David Cross. Like there were there. Were, I had a guy come up to me and go, I know you think that you're like David Cross and those guys, but you're not. And I was like, they're my Jesus. friends. I'm weird things like that. Right. But then. So that was a period of time where people were like, I was like the Stone Temple Pilots of, right? That was what I was told. Like, I was a pretender or I wasn't the real deal or whatever like that. So, so that's a period of time and it was real and it happened. But then time moves on and there are kids that grew up watching me and they just think it's, and they're like, and they're, they're the younger people now and they come to the shows and they, so they had a different experience also. So it changes. And what the thing that, the thing that they can't take away from you is not quitting. You stay in something long enough, you become something way different than you thought you were going to be. Well, that's it. It's just that time time marches on and what are you going to do with that? And if you allow yourself to listen to those people and the truth of the matter is you could take something you, – you could turn something into like a personal credo because someone said it to you. But in their mind, it was offhanded, and they weren't even – they didn't even think twice about it. So like that guy would go, oh, you're just a pretender. And you can see that guy a year later and go – you know, you said that to me and it really affected the course of my life. And that guy would be like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, he, you know, like he might not even remember. <laughs> oh, man, I was super drunk. I don't yeah, remember yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you'd be like, uh, what? Well, Which that's is, a shitty thing to say. You, know, you have to be careful. You, also, you have to be careful not to take <laughs> disposable comments, you know, which are pretty much all of social media, too much into your soul and core belief system because it's, you know – However you feel in a moment, like it, it's sort of, you know, I, I liken it to like um, how I am in traffic. You know, if someone, if, I, if I'm alone in my car, I'm just saying things at people. They don't know that I'm saying things to them. But if, if someone, you know, like cut in front of me, I'd be like, you're the worst person I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. If I actually said that to that guy, it would have an effect on him. But in my mind, I'm just blowing off steam. I don't really think that. No. Yeah. But that guy could, if he heard that, really he could really take that to heart. And, yeah. and then later I'd be like, I didn't, did I say that? I don't even yeah. fucking remember. What are you talking about? That's right. People don't, yeah, exactly. And, and, but the other thing is, you have a responsibility as somebody in the arts to be hardier than that. You don't engage. You don't fight back. You just ignore. Because, like, I watch, I look at Keith Oberman's thing sometimes. I'm like, why are you fighting with these? Just fucking be a news, just be a guy. Stop yeah. fighting with idiots. Who cares? Like, the, 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 it, by ignoring it, you're just like, yeah, I got it. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. I'm still working. I'm still my follower accounts going up. I'm doing shows. I'm, by the way, I'll be in Chicago this weekend. Like, yeah. you just—it's the most powerful thing you can do—is not engage because there's just nothing. There's rarely any. There's rarely anything good that'll come out of it. Yeah. I mean, one of the like saddest things I ever heard was uh, uh, Ryan Adams uh, like called a guy from a local. Rag. Ben Folds told you that. Was that what? Yes, ben that's Fultz right. Told you that on this podcast, that's and then right. he played then, the me- and he, he played, played it. The yeah. message. yeah, and it's like uh, that's right. That was that was so crazy. Yeah, this guy that kept ragging on him. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, this guy kept on. No, it was like wasn't it just one? It was like one or two like articles this guy wrote, and he mentioned how like Ryan Adams is uninspired, blah blah blah. Which is like you know uh, Harmar put it best when he said uh, he's like uh, the worst, like the the most ironic thing a, a music reviewer could say about a musician is that they're uninspired. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right, uh, <laughs> but um, it's uh, it, it's this thing where he calls up the guy and he leaves a message saying like, it's like like just complaining about what the guy's writing about him, and that's a lot of effort. That's well, a lot of effort on Ryan Adams' part, and it's uh, I think that we were having a very, very similar conversation with Ben Folds about that. I think that's why he brought that up. You know what it is though? It's that um, 
we we as performers, well, most people, but we as performers, uh, we have insecurities. And so when people say stuff, it scratches at those insecurities. And, and, and then you start to go, they're going to know. They're going to know that I suck. They're going to know that I'm a fraud. They're calling me out. They're seeing it. They're seeing it. I, yeah. th- I yeah. thought that I was hiding it so well, but they're seeing it. They're seeing it. Yeah. And so you get really defensive. What the fuck? What's your problem? Why would you say that? And you don't have to do that. You know, no, you don't yeah. you don't have to, you know, if someone if someone thinks that they can think that, you know, they don't know they don't know you. They don't know yeah. you. And you forget like when you're around your friends and everybody and every celebrity you've ever met who's so much cooler or different or weirder or has like the coolest guy you know, uh, it turns out he's like like I I hung out with Dave Grohl one night and one of his best friends is Jeff Probst. I mean Jeff Probst is the host of Survivor. Like <laughs> it's they're just people. We're all just people. And mm-hmm. so you, you do it based on who, like what you are. It doesn't matter. They don't know you. They know nothing about you. And they don't know, they have an idea of who you are. Somebody thinks Dave Grohl is the punkest of the punk, or he would never have a friend like that. And you know, or Kurt Cobain was like, I like the Smithereens. Like they forget to put that stuff in the. You know, they forget yeah. to really that we're, we like a lot of things and we're all different and no one's just one thing and. Um, it, it, that it, it just doesn't matter. But engaging just is you lose the second you engage. You've played a pair of twos, and Ooh. and also you aren't going to win. <laughs> I mean, every time I've done it, you know, a lot of times I, I, I I've I've taken the approach of just trying to reason with people of like, hey, I'm just talking to you on a human level, like you know, be nicer to people, right. But in the, but at the end of the day, you know that whole if I could save just one, you know it's there's more important there are more important dragons to slay in the world, and also it's I'm disappointed in myself because it's such a narcissistic endeavor. Mm-hmm. It's such a narcissistic endeavor to try to change one person's opinion about you. Yeah, like they're like the what they have to say about you has any weight because you don't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. They don't know you. They're just judging you based on... But remember, but remember this. They're thinking about you, and you don't even know them. You weren't never thinking about them. When He's just not that... Because you know, we're too busy out. thinking of ourselells. Yeah, right? yeah. But when, I'd rather when, do that. No, but you, just, you don't even... Like, you do something that allows you to be looked at and seen, and that's good. You're being seen. Now, everyone that sees you is not going to like you, but who cares? Because you achieved the thing you wanted to, which is to be seen or heard or listened to so some people aren't gonna like it when he's just not that into you came out there were <coughs> tons of ant a guy wrote a book about how how he didn't like our book a book about our book not what? liking our book and someone said to me does that make you mad i go he wrote a book about our book <laughs> no i love it yes people should hate it it stands on point and it makes an it has an opinion and it and it knows what it wants and if you don't like it good Fine, go get your help somewhere else. This is what I believe. And the people that like you go, I love this guy. He's not going to back down. He's not going to change his opinion for anybody. He's going to be my guy. That's the people you want in your audience because they're the ones that need to believe in you and know you're not weak. They need to like go, no, good. He doesn't fuck. Yes, of course some people aren't going to like At Midnight or your record or my band. Like they're, it's, you know. Well, yeah, because ultimately. Nobody doesn't like my band, though. <laughs> The Rainy Monarchs. The Rainy Monarchs are unbelievable. But universally loved. But ultimately, and also the thing, the thing to understand about about a creative endeavor is that whether it's music or a piece of art, or uh, although you know a painting can be a little more open to interpretation, but still a piece of art or comedy is that ultimately you're stating an opinion because you're trying to make a point about something mm-hmm. because you're trying to get a reaction out of people. One hundred percent. And so. 
when you take a stand on something, no matter what it is, there's someone in the world who was like, I feel the opposite of that. It would be like if you were a boxer and the second somebody hit you, you were like, what was that all about? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. What are we doing here? What is that? You just hit me in the fucking face. <laughs> in the end, what's going to happen? And the guy's like, but we're boxing, yes? <laughs> yes, yes. I don't know why he... Vladimir yes. Klitschko. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why I'm paralyzed from the neck down. I just got punched by Vladimir Klitschko. Congratulations yeah. on the baby. <laughs> yeah, like we're, we're we are the we're the lucky we're the lucky we're the lucky ones that we, we get are to do we this. we are we're lucky incredibly lucky. But you know, I feel I feel lucky. I mean, of all the stuff, and I'm I'm not trying to make your podcast about me, and I apologize, but I'm just trying to relate yeah, yeah, yeah. things to you, and maybe you will agree or have stuff to add. But of all the things that I've achieved. A lot of that's just hard work and like not giving up and refusing to, you know, to go quietly. Right. But one of the things that I'm the most proud of is that I only work on stuff I like. And that's an insane gift to have. And that the people that come out to the shows, like the people who, the people who recognize me or the people who go to the shows, they're good people. And somehow I have attracted that. And that to me, is probably one of the things that I'm the most proud of in terms of like success is not, you know, yes, I'm happy that I work on a, a bunch of shows and have, you know, like that's all great. But the thing that really, 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 really makes me feel like I, I think I did something right was that I look around and I'm proud of all the stuff that I do and I'm proud of the people who appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, I that's the, 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 when, when we started walking in the room, which is, I guess, I don't know, 200 episodes, so however, four years old or whatever. When we started that, that was the beginning of, okay, I'm going to do shit that I like. <laughs> and I'm going to be me. And here's a place I can be me. And then I can take a job consulting on a TV show I don't care about. But you never think that, you never think you has any value. So you go, well, why would anyone want to listen to me? I don't have any, I'm not. And you realize like, oh, because you, you're, you're, you're a value. Well, and also Dave made a really good point. He goes, it's not for everybody. It's just for the people that like you. They just want more of you, and you're not making a record anytime soon. You're not making a comedy album anytime soon, and they would want to hear you. They would want to know what you're up to. Yeah. And I was like, that's a really good point. Like People are like, there's too many podcasts. No, there's not. They're, the podcast is for your fans. That's who it's for. And sometimes you make other fans, and then sometimes your podcast becomes something that creates fans in and of itself. But at the very minimum... It's for Greg Barrett and Dave Anthony fans that want to know Jesus more about Christ. Greg Barrett and Dave Anthony. So many people need a Dave Anthony in their life, just a guy to go, who gives a fuck? <laughs> I don't give a shit. It's true. Dave was a really good friend during that whole thing because he was the one that was like, dude, you're going crazy. You know? And he was constantly saying, you know, you should get some. I'm like, dude, I'm totally fine. You know, he didn't know. But you know, having that weekly get-together also jarred everything. Like That was also another thing that made me go, man, I think I'm fucking up. Because I can see it in Dave's eyes that things aren't going well. And also the podcast listeners were like, what the fuck was that podcast all about? Oh, wow. I made a lot of sounds. <laughs> I made a lot of... <laughs> the Griffin. I call myself the Griffin. And I really... Oh, yeah. I, yeah, 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 you did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. I didn't I, really I, think I used about to, it. Because I used to tell people that I'd spit golden awesome. Which I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do spit gold and awesome. And I still call myself the, the king sweater. So, I mean, I have problems. And that's yeah. only because Patton called me Sweater Girl, which is Sylvia Plath's nickname. <laughs> and then she put her head in another. But so, yeah, he called me uh, the Sweater Girl. And then the fans started calling me Sweater. And then I was like, well, I'm the fucking king sweater then. And then I have got my own kingdom. I have a lot of things still to work out, but I'm doing it. You know, it. <laughs> everything that you just described, I'm, so, I'm really sorry to say this. So I hope you don't take this wrong. But everything no. you just described, if someone said, 
if they if they said all those things and they and then the end quotation marks and it went said Charlie Sheen, I'd be like, ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. just right, <laughs> there. right. I spit gold, 100%. Griffin. I'm the, I, I'm the sweater king. I, I king was sweater. I was vaguely like I I I thought Charlie Sheen was going insane, and I but I also kind of dug it. Yeah, like I kind of dug the whole tight whatever the whole the, his whole winning thing. Like there was something about that that I was like, well, this is. It's insane, but it's a little bit funny. Yeah, it's it was, a little it was bit fun like to watch. winning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it was, it it doesn't didn't seem too far afield of what a comic would do. Yeah, or Brody. Um, so in your mind, what is what's what is healthy to you? Because obviously, you know, if you're if you're if you're taking dog Vicodin and you're uh, and you feel okay when you do that, one part of your brain might go. Yeah, but if I feel okay, what's the problem? And then you get out of that and you go, well, that's all artificial and that's going to get progressively worse until you die yeah. Yeah. a horrible death from some type of internal failure. Yes. So how do you, you know, now how do you get through those dark moments and be uh, what, what do you consider healthy, like emotionally healthy? My emotionally healthy for me is not happiness. It's not being sad. It's a it's a hundred percent like I'm just not sad and I just am not like I don't want to be because happiness is a mania of its own which which I think a lot of people equate with a place that you kind of can't get to because we have those big ups and those big downs but those big ups are just as unhealthy as the big downs because they're not they are generally also not real they're you know fire they're like dopamine and you know and and adrenaline and all that stuff I've never and heard anyone describe it that way before. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like I like being right here. Like I'm having a great time, but I'm not I'm not changing what this is to make myself even happier. You know, like when we when I was at your house the other night, I was yeah. hanging out with Jonah and I was like, this is just a good time. It's just right sized. It was like it wasn't crazy. We had great conversation about music, but I was just like I was really happy. I just was like and and the happiness in that like this is just fine. You know what I mean? It's not do you think that's the antidepressants talking? No, I think there's some. No, I think there's a level of that. Absolutely. I mean, I had to figure out how to get there because my brain was only wanting either up or or going down. And then I even liked the depression because then I was really like self-centered and focused in on my God. I'm, it's all hard. And mm. Nobody has it like me. It's all just self-centered. But now I just am. I can go on stage and I can have a crap set and go cares. We're yeah. fine. And then I'll go on stage and have an epic set. And go, eh, it was, I lucked out tonight. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, it doesn't have a value. But when I'm watching my daughters dance, I cry. I feel something genuine because I allow myself to be, like, that's what matters. And when I, you know, or when I'm with my wife and I'm, you know, hanging out and just like, this is fine. It's just, it's just it doesn't, you know. And I also think it's part of its age, too. Just to clarify, you don't make your daughters dance for you, right? I do. I, I do. Okay. Okay. Because you didn't really. It sounded yeah, a little. Yeah. Yeah. I own. I own some guns. <laughs> yeah. And while they watch you cry, that's just the weirdest part. Yeah, of it. Yeah. Yeah. But like they did a recital the other day on Father's Day, and like Father's Day was. It was one of those things where Father's Day was not about me at all because there was a lot of shit going on with my daughters, and it would have bugged me a year ago. I would have been like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, I don't give a shit. This is great. This is all about my daughters. It's all about their day. It was all about my wife and shit that we had to get done. And I was like, this is, it, this is epic. And then I can be like that is a good thing, you know? And I feel that way about my career and everything else. I'm like, I'll just do what comes up next. It's not like I don't work on shit, but I, it just doesn't have the stakes. So I can't get that let down. I think people put big stakes on everything, you know, how their show's going to rate. What, what people are going to think about it, how, you know, how many tickets did you sell? Like that kind of stuff. And it just, nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And how often do you know people that just, when they get those things, they're just like, 
okay, I'm in this perfect place and here I stay. Yeah. You know, it just, it is, it is, it is a, describing happiness as a mania is really funny to me. Yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. I mean, like, I don't, uh, because we look at it as a thing to shoot for as opposed to not being sad, which is easier to, you, you start thinking, well, how do I not be sad? How do I not get to that place? That's an easier thing to work on than what's going to make me happy. Who knows? Because it never, it's never what you expect. Happiness comes from, like I'm saying, I go to your house the other night, I'm going to this podcast, I'm late, I'm like, oh, it'll be fun, we'll talk about music. I come out and I go, I was just fucking had a great time. I didn't expect that to be like that. No expectations. I like Joan, I wanted to have a good time, but it was like, just fucking fun. It was people having a good time, and I didn't expect it, so it was great. And that's the way I'm with my stand-up. Like, when I go on stage, I'm like, this could be terrible. I'm not even, I don't bring a notebook anymore, I don't make notes, I just remember all of it. And I go up and I do it and, you know, but most of the time it's great. Most of the time it's chill. It's great. So what is uh, the, the Atlantic Ocean oh, yeah, Comedy so now, Music Festival? So I'm doing, I'm doing the, the Jesse Thorne boat party thing. I did that last year. Yeah. Oh, that's Jesse's thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's is. real crazy. I, I, yeah. I think it, I think it has um, a better title than the Jesse Thorne boat, boat people thing. It's called the boat party. Or yeah. the Atlantic Ocean Comedy Festival. Yeah. And there's, yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of good people on it, including Matt Bronger. Now, if a bunch of you guys date, should I host a show about that on the cruise? Boat date. Yeah, boat yeah, date. Oh God, Joe Wagner I would love to do a boat date. Remember that? Remember when I you remember were... Shipmates. I remember Shipmates. Shipmates was, one of... Shipmates was my show that I kept turning down and then finally was like, oh, okay, I think I can make it my own. And like that was that was one of my experiences with with that. I, re- I remember seeing you because it's funny because I, now I remember the beginning of the end uh, for you of that stuff. I remember you were doing it and I saw you at the improv and I was like, I remember thinking your head is huge, <laughs> like your your actual face. Oh yeah, yeah, very it was big. yeah. You were very bloated, very like mm-hmm. like I and I remember and I was with the mirror and she goes, he was such a she. He was such a handsome boy. Oh my oh. god, I remember this when I after I quit drinking, you told me something like yep. that and you said and I think Amira said to me, you look so much better. Now. Yes. You look so healthy now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because she because you know, she worked at MTV, so she yeah, knew who you were for a long time and we're, and she's close with Jenny. So she's so I mean, yeah, she remembers you and liked you a lot and always thought you were handsome. And then we saw you one night at the improv and we were both like, "Whoa." Yeah. You know. What happened? But of course, when you when it when you're that person, you're like, why is everyone so weird? It was when you were in that. It, it <laughs> why was, is everyone so sm- small faced? It was when you were in that period of like. It was it was when that thing where you would just take cabs. Yeah, because I was a responsible. Uh, yeah, you were very responsible. I mean, I was not responsible to my own body and organs, but I was yeah. responsible in terms of I. But it's such drive. a nice story, man. It's such a good story. It's it a good. It's a great. Well, story. we both have. So you so you managed to get off the dog Vicodin. Yep. Uh, and, um, now, and how, what was the first step that you took for that? Well, I got thrown into a rehab. So that was the first step. And then I just, I wanted to get, I just needed to, I just needed to, sometimes you just need someone to go, okay, we're going to fucking change this. It's incredible. And you're fucking in your, and I was, and I was open. I was, I wanted it, but I was so embarrassed because I'd had 15 years of sobriety that I couldn't admit it. That was the, that was the, that was the prison I put myself in. You're a sober guy. So, and I thought I was keeping it a secret, but eventually that secret gets out. And then someone's like, you need to get your shit together and what's going on. And then I said, well, I've been taking all the dog pills. And they're like, you need help. And so then I was like, yes, I do. I'm a, I give up really easily. Uh, I'm, not <laughs> I'm not a fighter. Yeah, it, yeah. Because essentially somebody's going, well, we're going to give you a big hug. And I'll, I'll take a big hug. And, uh, and then I just went willingly. And I got off them. You know, the, it was a very, um, it's a pretty rough, you know, um, withdrawal. 
um, because it's an opiate and it takes a long time. It takes like months for it to get out of your system. So Oof. you feel weird, you know, I mean, it's a, a week of sweating and throwing up and all that kind of stuff, but then you're, you are where you are. But then I was like, wow. But then I, I was like, I felt like I'd identified that I had depression and anxiety. So I was like, okay, let's fix this. And then I've gone about fixing that. And now I feel like, okay, now, because I think that was also part of the alcoholism. And I think it's something that a lot of people have that is, you know, they've got, you know, not voices like uh, different voices, but like a voice that's like, God damn it, you're fat. Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. go look at yourself in the mirror again. Make sure you're okay. Go look at yourself in the mirror again. You say, okay, go see how you're doing on Twitter. Go Google. Like all of this like stuff that is, you know, ultimately tearing you apart. And these voices that are like, oh man, David, like I used to have David Cross's voice in my head. Like, that's not funny. He never was ever said anything shitty about me ever. And like I just think, had why, these, is that, why do you think people do that? I just think it was, I think it was partly just mental illness. Just, just me not having enough self-esteem and being able to figure out it. And that's how it manifests. It just manifests and you're not good enough. And that's why people drink. So I think it's sort of the chicken or the egg, like. Were you an alcoholic or were you mentally ill? And then you, that's how you decided to deal with it. I think it's a little bit of both, you know, and I think my mom probably had it when she was an alcoholic and I probably inherited it in some way. And then, so then I went and saw a therapist and, you know, got on regular meds and, and they changed things for me. And then, uh, you know, Bob's your uncle. Bob's (laughs) not your uncle, but. Biscuits in the UK. You know that one? Yeah. Biscuits in the UK. Yeah. Bob's your uncle. Yeah. Like no big deal. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah, and so then I got, a, and then I just got back into biscuits you know, in the UK is the new Bob's your uncle. I'm, I, I, <laughs> I'm so, going to start saying it a lot. Okay, good. Um, but anyway, so then, so then I just got like what we talked about already. I just decided like you know focus on your family and let everything else sort of you know just sort of changed my what was what mattered to me because I almost lost everybody. I almost lost my whole family. Like my wife was like, we're done. Like it was all done. Everything was done. Dave was done with me. And I, you got I him. pushed. I pushed the band. The band was supposed to go in the studio, and we had to push the record back two weeks. I like, I'm upset a lot of people and there was a lot of people that were like, "Mm, yeah, you're an adult. Like I could get this. I get this if you were 25, but you're 50. Um, so it was like, I had to like kind of work my way back into everybody's good graces. Well, I'm glad that you were able to do that. I'm so happy for you that you were able to do that Yeah, because that could have gone such as bad as it was. It could have gone so much worse worse. and you able to pull out of it and and I think that's important for people to know that even in those moments where you were throwing up and sweating in rehab and you must have been like well I'm going to feel like this forever well also the thing is sort of in a bigger context what we're talking about your friends aren't going to hold you to some idea you have about yourself so my parents my friends don't care that I was sober and not sober they just want me to be well and I was like no I got to keep this people have to think this about me so I can't let this down. And, and then you're, and the, again, the general public, if you're in the media, they don't give a fuck either. Cause they're looking at everything. They're not just looking at you. You know how we are. We're on the Huffington Post and we're looking at a million things. They don't give a shit, but the people around you never give a fuck. They don't, they just want you to be well. So you're afraid of them disappointing them. But if someone came to me and said, I'm back on pills, I'd be like, well, how do we fix that? Yeah. I don't give a shit. Like, let's fix that. Let's make that better. You know what I mean? Like, let's, you know, and I think every, most people's friends, and not only that, most people are excited to help you because then they don't have to think about themselves. So most people are like, cool, let's, where do you want to go? Let's go to a rehab or let's, let's do something about that. You know? And I think that's what people are most afraid of is not, is the, is that their inner circle will be disappointed in them. Yeah. You know? 
Well, um, I'm very happy that you were finally on. And I was and we could just bring it, just do a really funny podcast. Yeah. No, you know, it did have moments, but I think it was a really, I think it was really, I think it was really great. I think it's, I think a lot of really great stuff because everything that you're describing are things that you know. I, and I especially just feel like if people listen to the podcast, they probably a lot of them feel degrees of those things. And so sure. it's, it's very important to be able to hear that and to see that you're okay and I, that, you're, that you're happy. Dave and I have found that podcast listeners in general are people that are, um, I mean, we've found this a lot. Like they, they need the pod, they like the podcast because they, some of them are introverts and some of them are people that have fears. And so this is like, these, these are friendships. These are these, these, you're, the relationship people have with Nerdist, the relationship they have with Marin or any of them, they're friends. You're friends because you share stuff with them, and they, they like to hear this. They like to hear that there's hope or that there's something you can do. I've had people hit me up on the thing and say, what medicines did you do or what did you do? And I'm always like, just go see a therapist. The best thing you can do is go see a professional first if you can get to it. And don't be the... You know, just get there. Don't worry about paying for it later. That's another thing. People are like, I don't know if I can afford. Just go fucking go. They'll take care of you. Therapists are generally pretty nice. They'll usually say, just if you get, can find yeah. money for drugs and alcohol, you can find money for therapy. Yeah, that's 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 actually true too. You can always, you can always yeah. scrape up something. But uh, so, what are the dates of uh, the boat the boat fest Atlantic, uh, Atlantic Ocean Comedy Music Festival? Let me look it up. Because... Do you have those, Katie? Yeah. Okay, you just had it. September? Up. No, it's in uh, late July. Late. July twenty fifth. It's the twenty fifth through the huh twentieth through the twenty fifth to the twenty eighth. Twenty eighth. I thought you were saying twenty fifth to the twentieth. No, no. July twenty fifth to July twenty eighth. Both that long. Yeah, I did it Fuck last year. It's a really weekend. fun time. I met a lot of really cool people, and you know, you get to go. Th- to the Caribbean. It's really, really, really rad. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Jesse Thorne people are really fucking cool, too. Oh, they're, Jesse's they're great. Really, yeah, yeah, Jesse's yeah. good man. But it is also fun because you are on a ship full of other people that are just on a cruise to be on a cruise. Ah. Or as uh, Dan Deacon described him, adult Bart Simpsons. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Well, Calabunga. And um, <laughs> thank you so much for being here, Greg Barrett. Dan, it's good to see you podcast. again. Greg Barrett. Um, Reigning monarchs. Reigning monarchs. Yep. Healthier living, and uh, don't forget to check out uh, Biscuits in the UK by the Hug Pistols. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy your burrito, everyone. I hereby declare this podcast to be over. Sweet shit, guys. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail, or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand Drunk Elephant was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies and brands to learn the real stories of how they built them, In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity, a how-to guide for navigating life's challenges from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.